It's like how it keeps me in check. I like Silas went up there before service and uh, saw the amen sign, I guess, for the first time. I don't know. He just laughed and he just held it up. And I was like, amen, amen. Uh, but I enjoy uh, our fellow. I'm glad you can come to church and you don't feel like we just have to be all stuffy and proper all the time. Amen. And uh, I don't believe that's how heaven's going to be. Amen. I believe God created us the way that we are. We all have our personalities that are unique to us. And uh, I think that heaven is just going to be that sweet by and by. But I don't, I don't think that we're going to lose that personality that God has given us. Amen. Uh, and so what a, what, a, what a dull place it would be if Brother Richard wasn't Brother Richard. Amen. And uh, anyway, well, John, we're in John. Well, we're going to end chapter 13. So we're at the end of 13 and the beginning of 14. If you'll remember from last Wednesday as we looked at that new commandment uh, in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. And we talked about that love that God has given us and that love that we are commanded to have one for another. And remember that was specifically to the disciples about their love one for another. How can we accomplish great things for God if we are constantly at odds with each other? Amen? We must uh, be unified in doctrine and we must care for one another. So tonight, we're at the latter part of John 13 and we're going to go into the first four verses of John 14. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. John chapter 13, starting in verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your, hearts, your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go ye know and the way you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to sing your praises. We're grateful that we as brothers and sisters in your Son can gather together and pray for one another and study with one another and encourage one another. Lord, we're grateful for that opportunity. We're also grateful that we can sing your praises and uh, sing about that sweet by and by that is to come. And Lord, we're grateful that we have our hope and that it's not in anything that we've accomplished, but it's in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray now for the teaching and preaching time this evening that you'll take these next few moments and encourage our hearts to continue as we look forward to this year. Lord, we pray that You would encourage us, but we also pray that You would convict us, exhort us to live better for You. In Christ's name and for Christ's sake, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Well, as we said, we 
We've already recognized that we are transitioning. Remember, this is the last hours of Jesus' earthly ministry from chapters 13 to about chapter 17. And He is teaching His disciples. And He is is teaching them some important things. Everything that Jesus taught was important. Amen? Everything that He taught was important. But if you have opportunity to share something with someone and you know that these are your last moments, then you're going to have final thoughts, some final teachings that should encourage them along the way. I want us to notice verse 36 of chapter 13 as we work verse by verse. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Where was Jesus going? Well, He was going to His death and then His burial. And where would Jesus uh, go? Well, He would go to hell and He would take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He would take those that were captive in paradise. 1 Corinthians tells us that He led captivity captive. That's where He took those that were in paradise to heaven with Him. Now, just as a side note, those that had died before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Where did they go? Where was this paradise? It wasn't in heaven. Why? Because their sins were not gone. They were merely covered. Because the blood of bulls and of goats could not wash away sin, but the blood of the Savior washed away all sins. Amen? And so we must recognize that. And that's where we see, if you're to remember the study of the rich man and Lazarus and the great gulf, that tells us that hell and paradise were, were near one another and separated by a great gulf and were so close to one another that the rich man could see Abraham and could see Lazarus and have conversation with them. But then after Jesus Christ led captivity captive, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15 if I'm not mistaken where we find that passage, that leading captivity captive, He led those that had died under the law to heaven because now by His blood their sins were washed away. And so when says, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. He's telling Peter that you're going to be following me soon enough, but you're not going with me now because you can't go with me now. Why? Because Jesus must die alone. Jesus had to die alone, and that's exactly what He did. No one else could take the place of our sin. No one else could hang on the tree. Now I find it interesting this account of Peter's uh, foretold denial is only is mentioned not only in John but is also mentioned in Matthew 26, Mark 14 and Luke 22. Out of all four gospels there are only a few instances that are mentioned, a few miracles and stories that are mentioned in all four. Now there some things that are mentioned in John and Mark or John and Matthew or John and Luke or maybe three out of the four, but this denial of Jesus by one of His followers is mentioned in all four Gospels. Verse 37, Peter said unto Him, Lord, why cannot I follow Thee now? I will lay down my life for Thy sake. We see Peter's ambition was very great. Peter had decidedly determined that he was going to die with Christ if that's what it meant. Now Jesus knows all. Amen. And Jesus knew better. So we see 
One of the reasons why verse 14, when Jesus begins chapter 14 and verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, what were they troubled by? Well, there's two things that they were troubled by. They were troubled because they couldn't follow Christ. For three and a half years, they had followed Jesus everywhere through thick and thin. They had followed Him when He called them and the different men that followed Him from their different professions. They followed Christ forsaking all. They followed Him through the times when His life was at stake and when He was teaching things that went against the grain of culture and society. They still followed Christ. When the 70 plus disciples left Him and many disciples in John chapter 6 and followers of Christ had abandoned these twelve, yet still followed Christ. And now Jesus is saying, whether disciples at this time who still didn't quite understand the significance of what was about to occur in the next few hours. They didn't quite understand. And, and we know that they didn't understand because where were the disciples after Jesus' death, they were mourning. And what happened when the ladies came to the disciples' door and said, Someone's, He's risen, or someone's taken His body. They, they didn't believe that Jesus had risen. Amen. Even Thomas had to see Him with his eyes and touch the wounds. So at this point in their ministry, they're following Jesus, and He says, you can't follow Me where I'm getting ready to go. That would be a troublesome The second reason they were troubled at heart is because what they were willing to die for, Jesus just got through telling Peter, you're going to deny me. That would be a troubling thought. Going your three and a half years following after Jesus, who you believe is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, seeing the miracles performed, not understanding why you can no longer follow Him where He's getting ready to go, and then to be told, you're now going to deny Me. Oh, but Lord, I'll never deny you. Remember, in one of the accounts, that's what Peter says. I'll die with you, but I'll never deny you. This is a troubling thought. But what Jesus is getting ready to do in chapter 14 is He is transitioning into these final hours of His earthly ministry. He's going to be giving some words of comfort. How how common it is for us in our final days to try to comfort ours that we love. If we have opportunity to speak to someone that we care about, maybe a son or a daughter, and on our deathbed, and we know that we're getting ready to pass, we know that some of the final things that we want to assure them of that there is comfort and peace. We, want, we don't want to leave our loved ones anxious and worrying whether or not we're spending eternity in heaven or hell. Amen? If you were to be lying, lay, lying on your deathbed tonight knowing that you were going to die I promise you, you're going to be telling your children, I'm going to see you again. Words of comfort. That's natural, amen? That's what we want to do. We want to comfort one another. That's exactly what Jesus does here at the beginnings of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. Why would He reaffirm that? John 10, chapter 30. He's already established, I and My Father are one. Jesus is God in the flesh. 
He was more... I, sometimes I don't think that we, we grasp that concept. God in the flesh. We think of Jesus as we would think of another historical figure. We, we, we think of Jesus in terms of... We think of Him the same way we would think of a George Washington. A historical stories that go along with it. Jesus was more than a historical figure. He was and is God. And so the troubled heart is comforted in recognizing the truth of the light and of the Word that if you believe in God, you can believe in Jesus also because Jesus is God. In my Father's house many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go I go to, pre- to prepare a place for you. Four things this evening that give comfort to the comfortless. Four things that should give comfort to the Christian we have here in these first four verses of chapter 14. Number one, we see a prepared place. We see a prepared place. New heaven and new earth that Scripture talks about was prepared for the saints of God. Amen? When Jesus told His disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. What is He telling them? If I didn't have room for you, if there wasn't a place for you to abide in, I would have told you. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. He is truth. I go to prepare a place for you. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Jump down to verse 27. i tell you what, go to verse 22. And I saw no temple, for God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither of moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or worketh a lie, but they which are written in what? The Lamb's book of life. 
who gets to partake in this new heaven, in this new earth, in this new Jerusalem? Well, verse 24, the nations of them which are what? Saved shall walk in the light of it. And then verse 27, who's going to walk in that city in the latter part of the verse? They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So who gets to abide there? The saved. What is he talking about? That place that Jesus has gone to prepare. You see, that place that Jesus has gone to prepare, that's not heaven as we know it. Heaven's already prepared. It already existed. Do you realize that He is preparing, the Bible says, He goes to prepare a place for His followers, for His saints. That's what He is doing. Preparing the place where my Father is tonight is not the place that Jesus has prepared for His saints. That's the new heaven and the new earth. Why is there the need for the new heaven and the new earth? Well, keep your place in Revelation, but I want us to look at Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 22. Well, let's look at, let's start at verse 20. Romans 8 and verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What is creation looking for? Redemption. Why? Because corrupt or corruption has settled into creation. You see, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, or rather when Adam partook of the fruit that he was instructed not to partake of, it not only damaged him, but it passed on to all of God's creation. Why? Because Adam was made to have dominion over the creation. That's what the Bible teaches us. Remember in Hebrews when we looked at, at Jesus is better, amen? What else did we learn about Him? He is, a better, he is better to have dominion over all the earth than Adam. He is better as a ruler than man. And because of Adam's sin, corruption settled into the creation of God. And the earth groans and travails says together until, until now, looking to be redeemed to God. Well, that's earth, but Well, look back at Revelation 21, verse 27. And the Bible reads, And there shall in no wise enter into it, Revelation 21, 27, There shall no wise enter into it anything that what? Defileth, neither whatsoever worketh what? abomination or maketh a what? Turn to Job chapter 1. Now we looked at this not too long ago and we reference this often because it's a good reminder. Actually, I believe we looked at it last Wednesday in reference to, well, two Wednesdays ago or maybe Sunday night a week in reference to Judas 
when he was possessed by Satan and went and did what he was going to do, (coughs) he was only able to do so because he was given permission by God, by Jesus. Job chapter 1 and verse 6, remember now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. Where is Satan? In the presence of the Lord. Where is the Lord? He's in heaven. Look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. What does the Bible teach us? Satan. Satan has had audience with the Lord where? In heaven. Satan goes before the Lord God, before the throne of God, in heaven, in order to make requests and to get permission. Because remember, even though there's a devil, he is still a created devil. Even though there is Satan, he still answers to the Lord God on high. Amen? And so, and we even see that, I don't remember the passage exactly, but in Revelation, there is a time, I believe it's at the three and a half year mark in the tribulation, where Satan and all of his angels are kicked out of the heavens here on earth. That's when Satan enters into the Antichrist and he sets himself up as God on earth and he defiles the temple. So, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, Revelation 21 occurs after the thousand year reign, after the great white throne judgment. Because what happens at the end of a thousand years? Satan is loosed for a season. And he takes the armies of earth that are still, or or that are unsettled with Jesus Christ on the throne of David he plots a, uh, 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 an attack on and the Bible tells us that God sends fire from heaven and God consumes everything by fire. And then immediately there's the great white throne judgment. After the great white throne judgment, you have the introduction of the new heaven and the new earth. That's Revelation 21. After Satan and his horde are cast into the lake of fire Forever, the new heaven and the new earth in verse 27 tells us why there needs to be a new heaven as well as a new earth. We already saw in Romans 8, but a new heaven is needed because there will be nothing that defileth, no abomination, and nothing that maketh a lie in that new heaven. What a wonderful comfort that is. All of the trouble that is created because of sin gone. God is able to wipe away every tear because sin is no more. The workers of iniquity are no more. forever into the lake of fire, never to be remembered by man again. John chapter 14, verse number 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place For you. What a comfort for the troubled heart. This world is not our home. Hey, heaven, where Satan has entered in, where Satan has bowed for some time, where where he 
had tried to usurp the throne of God. That's not even the place of prep that was for us. There's a new heaven, a new that has not been defiled. And only those that are found in the Lamb's book of life get to enter in. What a comfort for the troubled heart. Number two, not only a prepared place, but a prophesied return. A prophesied return. We see here, if I go, verse number 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus is to leave. He's going to offer Himself the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would matter for eternity. And He would give up His life and His death, burial and resurrection, and He would leave and He would ascend in the book of Acts as we would see and the disciples are standing there looking, waiting for what? His return. Why? Because He had already told them, I will come again. They didn't know when He was coming again. All they knew was there was the prophesied promise of His return, or the prophesied return. This is a reference to the second coming of Christ. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What is this day of the Lord? Well, it's the day of Christ's return to earth. It will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away in a great and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Does that sound like the rapture to you? No, it doesn't. Now, if you'll remember our study, as we go on, or as we go back rather, in verse number 8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord, what? It's a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Remember, when we reference the day of the Lord, what is it talking about? His millennial reign. Because that thousand year period that He will reign will be as one day. So this reference to the day of the Lord and the context is His second coming, not the rapture. We'll get to that in just a moment. Amen? Notice verse 7. This, verse 7 is a wonderful verse to take that believes in global warming. Verse 7. The heavens and the earth which are now, that's, that's just in case that's not clear, that's where we live now. Amen. The heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto what? Judgment and perdition of ungodly men. End of Revelation 19, yes, 19. We just looked at chapter 21. At the end of 19, we have Satan is loosed, right? And then you have the thousand year reign coming to an end and fire coming down from heaven. 
That's the reference of verse number 7 of 2 Peter chapter 3. This earth and the heavens are reserved. What does reserved mean? Held, kept, promised. When you reserve a table at a restaurant, what does that mean? They're holding that table for you. This heaven and earth will not pass away until God is done with it. Amen? Amen. Now, does, now, just side note, does that mean that we don't take care of the creation that God has given us? No. We still have a responsibility to steward. Amen? But for man to be able to use that as an excuse to exterminate unborn children in order to reduce our carbon footprint is an atrocity and nothing but wickedness and evil. And it's a lie. Because when God is done with the heavens and earth, they will burn up regardless of how many styrofoam cups we recycle. Amen? God is not concerned with that. Now notice... We looked at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, this second coming. Look at Revelation chapter 19. This prophesied return is a comfort only to the Because if someone does not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if someone has not placed their faith in Christ and His finished work alone... This is not a comfort. Why? Because they're not looking for the Lord's return. That He doesn't come for a long time. Revelation chapter 19, we have a detailed description of His second coming. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful, and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. You ever, ever wondered what that name was? Amen. We know all these names of Christ, all these names of God, and here is a name written that no man knew but he himself. It has nothing to do with the message, but just in reading that, it always intrigues me. I always wonder, what is the name of God that only He Himself knows? And He was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. The prophecy of John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now notice number three, not only do we have a prepared not only do we have a prophesied return, but we have a promised reunion. I will come again 
and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, when you have a troubled heart as a Christian, when thinking that life is ended and remembering the theme of the years to consider Him in His death, to consider Him in His burial, to consider Him in His resurrection, in those final moments of life, all that He endured, what did He tell His followers? Let not your heart be troubled. I have a prepared place for you. I am coming again, returning to this earth. And there a happy meeting, a promised reunion, that catching away, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 17. This comfort that we are to speak to one another then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. Happy reunion. Too, and that when life gets us down and when we are surrounded by darkness and we are consumed with all the wickedness and we have no idea how we're going to make it to the next point in life that He has for us, we can take our hearts and trust in Him, understanding that there will be a glad reunion one day. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. Now let's remember, let's, 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 be rein, let's reinforce our learning. What is a mystery? Something not known. When you read a mystery novel, it's something you've, you, you don't know the outcome unless you're writing a book report and then you read the first chapter and the last chapter. Amen? Or how about an escape room? Those are mysteries. Amen? You don't know where all the clues are. A mystery, something that's unknown. So the Apostle Paul is getting ready to expound upon something that was withheld, that was a mystery until after the ascension of Christ. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now let's stop here. We're not going to take time this evening. I believe we've done this before, but I want to just point out, this last trump is not the trumpet. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What's that describing? The change. What change? The adoption will be completed. Amen? We'll receive an incorruptible, immortal body like Christ's body. One that is glorified. 
So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see a prepared place. We see a prophesied return. We see a promised reunion. That gathering, that catching away. And then number four, we see provided direction. Provided direction. And whether I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. Now we're going to expound more upon this Sunday morning. This provided direction. Because this direction that's provided is expounded in verses 5 through about verse 14. And we're going to look at that this Sunday morning as we pray about uh, our future as a church, as we pray about uh, what we've already accomplished in, in presenting the yearly theme. But I want us to recognize tonight that the understanding of a provided direction brings comfort. Have you ever been lost driving around or maybe looking for something and you can't find it? Anybody? Just me? I'm the only one? Amen? Alright, Brother Don, we've been lost before. Silas has been lost in the woods before. Wandering around. What happens when you get lost in the woods or you're lost driving around? After time, you start to get a little anxious, don't you? You start to get a little worried that you're not going to make it, and then if you're driving, you're looking at your gas tank thinking, oh man, why didn't I listen to my wife and ask that guy where we were? Amen? Amen. You wives know what I'm talking about. Amen. What happens? We get a little troubled in heart. When we recognize that when we start to recognize the path that we're going and maybe we see a street that looks familiar, and then we finally get some direction, what happens? Whew. Amen. That sigh of relief. Jesus is pointing the disciples here as we're transitioning into the next portion of His teaching that whether I go, ye what? No. And the way ye what? No. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus didn't just leave earth and say, All right, you had me for 33 and a half years. Now go and figure it out. Not how Jesus operates. That's not how the Lord operates. What did he do? He gave us direction so that we could know the way. We could know the direction that He intends for us to go. I encourage you, this Sunday morning, if you have a family member that struggles with salvation, this Sunday morning would be a wonderful message for them to hear. This Sunday morning would be a great opportunity for them because we're going to look. You say, and you know the verse, look at verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. But before he teaches that, Thomas asks the question, how can we know the way? And then Jesus 
reinforces what he's been teaching this entire time, that Jesus is the way. And so we're going to look at that this Sunday morning. But what I want us to do tonight, because the context we're reading, let not your hearts be troubled. As we journey through this life and as we live for God and as we try to accomplish things for God, we all be troubled. You remember our theme, what we looked at as we consider Him? You remember what considering Him does? It helps us when we're weary and faint. When we are anxious or depressed and ready to give up, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. We're going to take a few moments now.